Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Debatable with your hosts Nina and Kyle. I'm Kyle. I'm Nina and our episode today is actually My Strange Addiction featuring Kyle <laughs> with his strange addiction which is TikTok but not just any ordinary TikTok. Kyle, tell them where you are. <laughs> yeah, so I do have a big secret which is I spend a lot of time in pro-BBM TikTok. Well, to be clear, I'm not going to vote for the son of the dictator. I do not think that he's a good leader. I don't think that he's smart. I don't think his heart is in the right place. But I do know that a lot of his supporters believe that he is. So I wanted to take a look at why. And, you know, just for um, disclosure's sake, Mm -hmm. I think we have to disclose that this is the second time that we're recording this. The first time we recorded this, it was supposed to come out uh, on the 25th. Like the anniversary of power. the Peel of Power. Yeah. Um, but due to an unscheduled interruption in power, we lost all of our files. So we have to do it again. And we couldn't, we didn't have the heart to do it yesterday. So we did it today, Sunday. Who says I have the heart to do it today as well? <laughs> yeah, I don't either, to be honest. Because like a lot of this, we already talked about. But yeah, so again, the reason why I did it it wasn't really for the lulls, although in our script or in our notes, I put there it was for the lulls. It was because I wanted to understand the narratives that would impel a person to want to support or vote for Bong Bong Marcos. And that's the reason why I was there. Yeah, so what what are the things you noticed from being on BBM TikTok? Because it, it seems to be very strange. Like, I get to hear the audio um, and it's mostly like old-timely music or dramatic speeches being said. So is it like really pure propaganda? Like, does it give that vibe? It does kind of give that vibe. More specifically, it's like a make America great again or make the Philippines great again kind of vibe. Oh, I do hear that being used a lot. Yeah. Like, go back to the golden era. Is yeah, exactly. Go back to the golden era. So I feel like there, whenever I watch... TikToks in that space, I categorize them into four. The first one is ideology. So this is where I get things like we need to unify, we need to go back to the golden era, basically nostalgia for the golden era. By the way, it's not a golden era. (laughs) Um, It was never a golden era, but that's the thing that people are most nostalgic for. Um, And because they're comparing it to what happened after Marcos, they felt like that was actually not the golden era anymore. So they want to return back to that time, even though statistics um, and a lot of economists, a lot of people in the academe have shown us that it was as far from the golden era that you could get, right? And the post-Marcos era, even though it was not perfect, you can still make an argument that the, the martial law era was still much, much worse. And in those TikToks, you see a lot of old footage with like Ferdinand Marcos or old footage of infrastructure. You have sad music. You have music that's associated with the Bagong Lipunan or the new society that Marcos was allegedly trying to create, stuff like that. So that's the first content bucket I put there. So the beginning of the, I wouldn't say the campaign season, the beginning of even during the announcement, of, yeah, like who would run? Right? Yeah, so during the announcement, um, and that was like a really long time ago. I started this, I started this in October, so this was this was a really long time ago. At that time, 
majority of the pro BBM content falls under this bucket. Yeah, so this also comes at like uh, Larry Gadon spouting conspiratorial mm-hmm. nonsense about how like the Dilawan stole everything, blah blah blah. Nostalgia, unity, that's in that bucket. Another bucket is oh look at him, he has such a nice personality. Like that. So the the fact that he has good manners, he has like good upbringing Dao. He has a good accent, I suppose. He wants to surround himself Dao with supporters, but he wants to keep a safe distance so he doesn't get hurt. That was the one that I saw most recently. He doesn't want to sign the Philippine flag Dao, even though someone was asking him to sign it in in like a rally or in a caravan or motorcade. And he didn't want to sign the Philippine flag because he respects the flag so much. I mean, that's like a bare minimum. Well, You're not allowed to sign or... Yeah, like, because of the flag law. Yeah, right, yeah. The flag law. The flag so, law. You can't even draw it wrong. Yeah, I suppose he draws the line. Like, he's okay with committing crimes. He's okay with, like, cyber-squatting because oh, um, yeah. he did the... I don't know if he did this, but it's associated with his name. Um, if you type in calyodi.com, it redirects you to bongbongmarcos.com. And under the Cybercrime Prevention Act, this is not legal advice, I'm not a lawyer by the way, but under the Cybercrime Prevention Act, um, one of the crimes defined therein is cyber-squatting, which is the act of acquiring a domain name on the internet that you do not have the right to. Um, so if you do it in bad faith, with intent to profit, with intent to mislead, or to just try to deprive another person of that same domain name, especially if that domain name is the personal name of another, like Kaliodi is known by Kaliodi, then that is actually a crime. So I suppose that, you know, he draws the line at a flag law. He doesn't want to offend or commit a crime against a thing, but he's okay with, like, not paying taxes for no, 30 years. For me, it makes sense. Like Or not... Or committing crime, like his his line is, I don't want to commit crimes on video. No, I think the line might be, I don't want to commit crimes that go against the values I'm espousing. So the values he's espoused is like, oh, unity, nationalism, like back to when the Philippines was at its prime, quote unquote. So it might uh, be related to that, right? Like it doesn't matter if you stole because, yeah, I did it for the golden era. Like I stole money. But I gave you a hospital. Mm, no, that's center, so funny. Like, that's lung so, center. <laughs> that's kind of refreshing because I'm always like, you know, let's take a look at his best intentions. Like, but how about, what does he stand for? I'm always that kind of person. Like, for the longest time, I was like, I think that Duterte wants the best for our country. Stuff like that. And you're like, no, they're selfish, they're corrupt, blah, blah, blah. And now this time, I'm like, yeah, I think he's just doing this for the camera, and you're like, no, maybe it's a principled thing. How refreshing! Like, yeah, how the turntables. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the second content bucket that you you find there. Like, he has a good personality. We had exchange gifts. Look, you were such a baby. He says that he misses his father every day, like that. I mean, he probably misses the money that his father. The, I don't know. I think I do feel like <laughs> I do feel like he might miss his father. Okay, this a lot. is where like, we went back. We go back now to our typical yeah, yeah. programming. I I do think that he misses his father, but I do agree with you that a lot of the time it might be just for, yeah. Let's bring it. Let's make that idea that I'm a continuation of his legacy. 
So it's still harkening back to that nostalgia. In a way, we're not disagreeing. Yeah. You know the sad thing though about this bucket, like the whole Bong Bong has a great personality is that even his father doesn't agree. Like letters were released that just called Bong Bong like very lazy and entitled. Like his dad had to tell him off and go like, no, we cannot bomb Camp Crame, you little idiot. <laughs> I think those were like two separate things. Like, the the one where he calls him lazy, I think he was much younger back then. But the other thing, the Camp Crame one... Oh, he was old already. He, he, was, he was old, he was old already, enough yeah. to be a blind bomb. But, yeah, I, I'm not saying they're connected. I'm just saying, you know, those are instances where the father is like, I don't trust this kid. Yeah, so, yung personality bucket, a lot of it is, we have been trying to bully him for so long. The Dilawans have been... You know, they're so mean. They're so mean, and he he isn't fighting back. He isn't fighting back. So we're gonna do it for him, like we are part of his campaign team, and we are gonna do it," says his lawyer, who is basically the person who's campaigning and not wrong. Well, I don't know. Um. So yeah, the second bucket is personality. The third one is something that is much more recent. Like you see this a lot now. Because this is the actual campaign season. You have so much more things going on. So the third content bucket I'd like to talk about is affirmation. Like, we see you. We really appreciate that you showed up to our motorcade or rally or our caravan. This is also footage of people cheering for Bong Bong or for Sarah Duterte, etc. So it's basically saying that Whatever you're doing in your small ways of contributing, we see you and we appreciate you. And it really does inspire a lot of people to start supporting Bong Bong as well. So a few months ago, we've had caravans or, um, you know, th- those things, those parade stuff for Lenny. And a lot of people were sort of questioning the value of that. They were saying, why do we have something like that? Isn't that a little bit elitist? Isn't that, you know, basically useless? Um, when you change your profile picture into pink or whatever, what does it actually do? And the actual response to that is, from a campaigning point of view, you're trying to tell people that you do not have to be afraid to be out and um, Support. supporting yeah. Lenny Robredo. And that's the same thing that they're doing with this affirmation type of TikTok content where you have, so honestly, so many of it. Like, if you go to Bong Bong's personal and official TikTok um, account, most of his stuff is just this. It's affirmation. We see you. We really encourage that you go here. Um, and then sometimes he ties it back to this idea of unity. Like, this is the first step towards unity. Mm. Yeah. Um, never mind the fact that other candidates also have these kinds of caravans. So you can argue that unity in this particular form is not exclusive to Bong Bong. Yeah, but the last content bucket is just everything else, like all the weird stuff. Memes. Uh, memes, I suppose, yeah. Um, but I would say that if the meme is about... If the meme is about not liking Lenny or like Len Len stuff, that falls under the ideology thing where... You're trying to say that Lenny's a puppet, Lenny is a liar, etc. That falls under the ideology bucket. Or the personality bucket, but negative. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I'm talking about is all the, the fan camps of Sandra Marcos. Mm. Like, all of the, the squealing people. I'm like, oh my god, Sandra Marcos. Like that. 
Um, very recently, I also saw a very weird fan cam of Manuel Quezon of all people under the hashtag BBM2022 hashtag. Um, and it was Manuel Quezon announcing that Bataan has surrendered mm-hmm. in World War II as a very intense fan cam. Like, flashy if, and stuff. It's very flashy. If you're prone to like seizures, don't watch it. But it's still weird because Manuel Quezon had nothing to do with Bong Bong Marcos, right? I think the only thing that they were going for is the aesthetic. That it's an old, tiny aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, do you remember the time Sandro Marcos like became a DJ <laughs> for a debate event? Yeah, uh, um, that was PIDCE. And okay, we don't talk be, about that. To be clear, <laughs> to be clear, the UP Debate Society did not go out of its way and ask for Sandro Marcos to be the DJ there. But what happened was during break night. Um, break night for the people who have just been debating in the online space. Ooh, it was sad. it was a thing where, whenever we're announcing the teams that make it to the final series, like the octos, quarters, semis, finals type thing, um, we would have a party to do you know prepare people for that. And so, if you do make it to the final series, you can drink and celebrate. If you don't make it, you can drink, drink and cry. Yeah. Yeah. Drink either way. <laughs> yeah, so there was music at the time, and then all of a sudden, we were like, oh, I think that guy is Sandro Marcos. And that was like 2016, I think. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't like, it wasn't something that everyone was freaking out about, or like, who wasn't super popular then at the time. Like, his face wasn't super recognizable, but apparently, he just came from abroad and he was there to be a guest DJ. But anyway... <laughs> Um, I suppose that had that happened now, now footage of that would certainly have gone to TikTok. Oh my God, he's an artist. <laughs> oh my God, he's the next. He's the next big thing. Oh God. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that. Okay, this is an exaggeration for legal reasons. I want to clarify. This is an exaggeration, but it does really seem like. The Bongbong Marcos campaign is pimping out Sandro for the future, right? I mean, he's already running for a position, right? Yeah, but I, I don't think it's gonna stop there, though. Yeah, yeah. So they're already in the process of basically priming him up for celebrity status. Because admittedly, let's be honest, celebrity status is what gets you elected here in the Philippines. So even with the Lenny cap, right? We are elevating her to a celebrity status by making her fan camps also... And hosting these concerts and rallies and basically dietifying um this individual. So but but you know, that's a discussion for another time. Um so what I wanna ask now basically is how does this all work? So there are content buckets, but how does TikTok in particular use these content? Yeah, so the actually I the TikTok discussion is quite interesting because the discoverability of a lot of um, these TikToks has decreased because TikTok has updated its community guidelines and it has sort of been more intense about it where duplicated content does not appear on the For You page anymore or the For You feed anymore. So the community guidelines say that if it's unoriginal, low-quality content or if it's in... uh, Or if you just got it from another source, you got it from another platform like YouTube, and a lot of these things actually are just from other platforms as well, like they didn't originate in TikTok, it's usually ineligible for recommendation. 
That is to say, even though it won't be taken down from the site, um, what will happen is it will just not be recommended to you by the algorithm. You will have to search it on yourself. So in this way, TikTok tries to avoid bots abusing the platform. So uh, there was some potential for people to just make bots that get um, established BBM content and then repost it on TikTok. Um, but because of this part of the community guidelines, I don't think that we need to worry about that so much. Um, and there is also some potential here because the updated community guidelines say that conspiratorial content that counters generally accepted beliefs and misleading content about current events are also ineligible for recommendation. They also won't show up on your For You feed. Mm. Yeah, so this basically means that you know, as long as they're not violating any local laws like defamation or libel or whatever, they're still allowed on TikTok, but it's not automatically recommended to your For You page. And this is quite important because if you enter TikTok, like you, you don't know anything yet, you don't uh, use it yet, and a friend of mine said um, that they wanted to try out TikTok for the first time, I said that, okay, for the first few times that you're there, since the algorithm does not yet know anything about you, it will show you the TikToks that are very popular in your area. So in the past, like me just creating my new TikTok account, I was immediately getting pro-BBM content. But after a while, I took a break, and then I went back into it, I actually had to search it up. So, so is, this, is this because of the change in guidelines? You I, think, I think it might be because of the change in guidelines. Like, you do have to look it up. It's not eligible for recommendation, but it's still there. You just have to search it. So did you have to look it up? Yeah, I did. So you can look it up using the hashtags. Um, so it can be hashtag BBM, hashtag BBM2022, hashtag um, BBM Sarah, stuff like that. Um, so even if you do put, put that there and you do search it, TikTok makes a reminder there that you should always follow community guidelines, verify facts, make sure to report those TikToks that don't meet community guidelines. And that's put there, like, literally on the face of the hashtag. Like, if you click the hashtag, it will show that for election-related content, you have to verify facts. Do you think that's just for all election content or just BBM content specifically? I think that might be for all content. Like, okay. I haven't I haven't checked the Lenny side of it mm. or any other candidate side of it. Maybe you can do it because... <laughs> yeah, I, I can do it right now, like... Yeah, um, so while Mina's checking that, I just want to say that even though that's the case, it's not necessarily a perfect system because today I was scrolling, I was scrolling along my pro-BBM TikTok accounts for you page and I still saw Larry Gadon making conspiratorial statements about how the 2016 vice presidential election was stolen from BBM. Unfortunately, I, I do hope that someone reported it, but unfortunately I could not report it because it would defeat the purpose of the experiment where I would only be getting pro-BBM content. So if I do some negative engagement, I will not be able to get those things anymore. So the, the whole point of the experiment is I just only make positive engagement positive engagements with pro-BBM content. So I just, I go like, it's so annoying. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> so, Okay, so I'm in the Lenny for President 2022 hashtag, and there are 43.8 million views, but I'm not seeing any warning. Is this how it's supposed to be, Kyle? Like, I, I don't know, because I don't know what the warning looks like. Uh, well, the warning says that for election-related content, you have to verify. So, Lenny I'm not sure have. why 
TikTok or like what the process was for TikTok. I I suppose that they saw that this particular hashtag was disproportionately getting a lot of reports for false information. Mm -hmm. Or they did notice that a lot of the people who view it um, was posting about election-related content. So it might be because the the pro-Lenny hashtags... It might be because the pro-Lenny hashtags do not have enough false information. We're yeah. just like, thank God. Oh, I'm I'm now in the BBM 2022 hashtag. And I it, it does say here, TikTok values authenticity and integrity just as much as creativity and expression. Please follow these reminders when creating, viewing, or interacting with election-related content. And then if you expand, it will tell you a bunch of community guidelines. Lenny's hashtag doesn't have that. I think that's a... A little tiny win. But, you know... Yeah, but on no the other gonna, hand... No one's gonna look at this page and be like, yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be serious and critical. No, they're gonna go, ha-ha, TikTok, let's go. <laughs> yeah, you can you can also make the argument that, oh, see, TikTok is so biased. Ah, TikTok the is so biased. argument. Which, to be honest, it really doesn't make sense because, like, even though a lot of the content is hidden from the For You page, each hashtag still has 1 to 2 billion views. And that's a lot, especially considering that the population of the Philippines, last I checked, was only like 109 million people. So that is probably 10 to 20 times the entire population of the entire goddamn country. So like, the, so do not let people say that because the Lenny hashtag does not contain these warnings, that automatically TikTok is biased in favor of Lenny and biased against Bong Bong because like clearly the TikTok space has been very beneficial for their community, right? Um and also if you actively search for it, you will fall into a rabbit hole. And I am in that rabbit hole. And I gotta tell you, it's very difficult sometimes to avoid feeling something. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm catching the feels. I, I do I do get like, oh, yeah, this does seem like a great time to go back to. Not knowing like, yeah, I do know some people have been personally victimized by this. At the time that I'm seeing it, it's very easy to forget about those things. It's very easy to yearn for this imagined concept of the golden era. Even though I know, like the rational part of my brain knows that that it's just a fiction, mm. right? Um, it's also very easy for me to feel inspired now by the affirmation content saying that this is the first step towards unity. Oh, look, and I'm in good vibes dito sa BBM rally, stuff like that. Yeah, so it seems that TikTok is making certain strides to avoid, you know, fake news and stuff. Um, let's quickly talk about, like, Twitter and Facebook, though, because I think, you know... Like, the strength of each camp varies for social media. It's not very consistent, is it? Yeah, I don't think so. And I feel like for Twitter, this might be something that you're, you would be better mm. um, at talking about because you were, like, you have a lot of followers because at some point you were very vocal on Twitter. Mm. Um, but I, my personal take on it is this is where they're weakest on Twitter because there are many different ways to clearly undermine a bad post. Like, you ma ratio. Yeah. Like on Facebook, even if you ratio an original post, um the what the algorithm will boost will still be the original post. Yeah. Right? As opposed to if you ratio them successfully, it's a great way to humiliate joke <laughs> but to undermine 
a bad post and to sort of emphasize that it was a bad post. Yeah, and Twitter has this thing where it values more how many followers you have and your engagement. So I'm not sure the validity of this and how true this still is. But it says that, you know, if you like a post, it gets boosted if you have more followers compared to if you have zero followers and you like a post. So it will still show up as, you know, two likes. But the strength of those two likes will differ based on how powerful your account is based on the number of followers you have. That's why trolls on Twitter have a harder time propagating um, their hashtags. Or at least they do, like, get it to trend. But they do it during obscure hours of the night. Or they do it with a lot of effort by tagging each other and just making an entire ecosystem with their different accounts. Um, It also looks at the account age. And a lot of trending accounts or accounts that make stuff trend are usually made within the same month, right? So that's sketchy. Um, I'm not accusing anyone of using trolls, but I'm just saying it's sketchy behavior if your icon is just a generic color or a an egg. or an egg, and then suddenly your account is I don't know Nina seven seven two five one two one right. So that that's a lot of the accounts that you end up dealing with and facing. Um, but there's also ways to bypass, for example, a trending post. If you want to attack someone, you don't want to reply to it or quote tweet it. You can take a screenshot. In TikTok, I feel it's it's much more tedious to like download a video and then edit it. So that you can splice your own video towards it. Like, what do you call it? Stitch. Yeah, Stitch. Yeah, sorry. I'm not very active on TikTok, as you can see. Um, Yeah, so you stitch it, right? So that's how you directly engage. And that also brings power to the original post. So on Twitter, there's lots of ways to bypass it. Um, Which, I guess, is good. Um, Twitter also has this thing where it warns you of fake news. Though I haven't seen it active after Trump. Like, have you? Yeah, it's, I feel like Twitter has acted like, oh, okay, we only help destroy the, the democracy in the United States, so let's only fix, like, the U.S.'s democracy. Mm. And, like, after they got rid of Trump, they're like, okay, yeah, problem solved. Like, nothing bad ever happens on social media anymore. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I haven't seen it either uh, recently. Meanwhile, on... Oh, although, if you share, like, an article... It still tells you, hey, maybe you should read this first. Okay, that's good. It. That's good. Yeah. Um, but on Facebook, I feel like this is probably where they're the strongest because of a lot of visibility things. Like most Filipinos have Facebook. The Lenny Camp is um the Lenny Camp is more on Twitter actually, I feel like is like, like the young younger What happened Gen was Z. the younger generation was like there are too many annoying people on Facebook. Let's go to Twitter instead. Mm-hmm. And that's where you live. And now a lot of you are like, ah, I don't like either Facebook nor Twitter. But the point is, um like the audience that you would find on Facebook is more susceptible to like being less um being less critical about the things that they find online. Not this isn't to say that they're uneducated or like stupid or anything. And that's definitely not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that it is much easier to share things on Facebook. Um especially if your audience is the massa. Um and I feel like this is where we're missing. Like a very, very big criticism against the campaign of the opposition is that it seems to be too intellectual. But Facebook is not the arena of intellectualism. Although, the Lenny Camp 
is catching up, I think, in terms of winning online polls, of, like, just general reach. Um, and people who don't like Duterte and Marcos are certainly, certainly better at making memes. So, like, all position is much better <laughs> at making memes. Like, we have so many, we have so many Facebook groups that are just for making memes about this administration and Bong Bong Marcos. And so many of them are so mad at these memes that, okay, don't be mad at us just because you can't think of anything other than Lugao. Or Len Len. Or Puppet. Yeah, like, yeah, just don't be mad at us for being more creative than you. And like, catch up, you know? But I think Facebook is kind of a scary battleground. So my paper in college was about, like, my mini thesis. Like, I don't know if it's a thesis. But anyway, if you're a pulse major... right? Yeah, something like that. If you're a Paul major in UP Diliman, you know what I'm talking about. Like, we don't make full papers. We just write bits and pieces of a bigger thesis. So mine was about... Poor, oh, poor... thesis proposal, right? Yeah, like a thesis proposal. Because, right? like, if you... The thing about a thesis proposal is... um, This is... <laughs> I'm sorry, I might be mansplaining this to you. Mm-hmm. Because you're the one who explained this to me. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> Your department does not have the money to subsidize like the very ambitious thesis theses that you actually want to do, which is why you're sticking to a proposal. Yeah, and then if you want to pursue it, you can do that like outside of class time because they don't want your grade to be contingent on you know whether or not governments are willing to give you documents, um because that that sucks and I know you know this from personal experience. <laughs> yeah, my thesis was supposed to be about the barangay justice system or the Lupon Tagapamayapa, which is a mechanism whereby before you go to the court, you have to sort of go undergo an arbitration at the barangay level and it is supposedly to help declog the dockets of the court. So I wanted to study whether that actually worked. Um, unfortunately... Uh, when I went to the to the DILG um, building, to the headquarters, they were like, oh, you should go to the regional branches. So I went to, I said, okay, how about let's talk about this study in a smaller area. How about a province? So we went to a regional office and they were like, no, you have to go to the offices of each barangay. And there are hundreds of barangays in a single province or a single city alone. There are hundreds of them. So I was like, okay, Never mind, I'll just do something else. So, I, I mean, I totally understand the idea that you, you want to avoid relying on government documentation, at least for now. But anyway, back to your thesis. Yeah, so anyway, my well, like thesis, quote-unquote, was about polarization in social media. And what we discovered, or, well, just me, because it wasn't like a group thing. Um, What I found out through research and like, you know... Uh, uh, sources that I should not disclose, nor should I know about. Um, troll farms are a really big industry in the Philippines, as much as they are underground. So there is actually a trend where you would sell your face, right, to different accounts, and then they'll just face tune it a little bit to make it a little bit different, and then they'll use that to legitimize their Facebook accounts, right? Um, so that all the commenters look like they have a face or that they're a real person. Because when you go to a post and there's a lot of comments, if you notice that on the left side, the faces are all like the generic blue and white like silhouette thing, you're less likely to resonate with a particular post. So they've discovered that they found a way to just get people's faces with their consent and pay them um, 
probably so that they can avoid like legal issues of being sued for like what would you call that case? Identity theft. Yeah, like being sued for identity theft or whatever. Um so they do that. Another thing with Facebook is that um the algorithm really just wants you to see like a particular side, like something that will rile you up, right? So either in a good way or a bad way. That's why during election season there's a spike in activity because not only do both camps try to win polls, right? But you're actively being shown BBM content or Lenny content because they know that's what's gonna keep you longer. Or and, ISCO content. Or ISCO content. Yeah. But I feel like I haven't encountered those so much. Probably because I don't really care much for ISCO. So I just, I scroll past it. And the phone can sense that, right? Like, if you stay long in a post, the longer you stay, it will register that, okay, we're gonna give you more posts that are similar to this. Um, That's why Facebook is, like... You complained last night about this, that there was a post that was super long, but you read it anyway. You spent more than 30 seconds on it, right? Yeah. It was explaining something about Lenny or BBM or Ukraine. I, I don't know, but... <laughs> like it, <laughs> Those it's either... three things, like the three genders, <laughs> Lenny, Bong Bong, and Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, so it was explaining one of those things. And Kyle was complaining that it was so long, but he stayed on it anyway. And now you're probably seeing a lot of posts that are similar to that. And that's just how Facebook works. So Facebook is the home of the long-form blog. Because Twitter is like short. Um, you can only win through like how many likes you get. But on Facebook, it's about how much emotion can you get out of a person. Because on Twitter, they can't sense that yet. They can't sense based on how long you are on a certain post. Because there's a lot of posts on a page at a time, right? Because it's short in nature. But Facebook has that power. Yeah, so... Okay, I found the post that you were referring to. It was about Len Len. Oh, so about it Len was Len. like, what are the lessons that we can get from how the internet has reacted to the Len Len series? Mm-hmm. Uh, the most recent one was implying that Lenny was just a puppet. So it was saying stuff like, oh, the Marcus Camp loves to point, uh, loves to point to Lenny and say that she's a lot less intelligent than she actually is. Uh, Lutang, whatever. Um, and the lessons that they got from there, like the idea that intellectual elitism is not the road to take, which is why I'm very careful and try to empathize with them and say that they're not stupid, right? They're not stupid. Um, And why you should always try to be polite. Being rude is not the correct way to go about things. Um, Try not to be so salty about surveys. Like, don't call the surveys biased. Yeah, yeah. Um, Surely not all surveys are created equal, but like we shouldn't disregard them automatically just because they don't show the like the results that we want. Yeah. So it's a very long one. I feel like I should try to share it, but it, honestly it's quite long. But anyway, since you were talking about like it is the home of the long form blog. Um the thing about bloggers and this also applies to YouTube like bloggers too. thinking personalities like mm-hmm. thinking Pinoy of RJ Nieta, who was a debater before, actually. Um, yeah, so these kinds of people, they really like portraying themselves to be non-experts or non-journalists because in by doing so, they can position themselves very strategically. They can say, I am not a journalist, so don't, um, don't hold me to the same standards that we would hold a journalist for in terms of ethics. And this is the excuse that Moko Uson 
had when she had the Moho Usan blog. She wasn't a journalist. So why are you hampering her? Why are you making such a big fuss over her not following journalistic ethics? She's not a journalist. But at the same time, because you're an amateur, you can say that you're not affected or influenced by, uh, you know, big mainstream media that like their sellouts and whatever. They're influenced by the Dilawan and stuff like that. So being an amateur, being just a vlogger on YouTube or Facebook, it really does put you in a very strategic position where you can get away with a lot and still be seen as some sort of expert. Yeah, and as I mentioned, right, like the the currency in Twitter is engagement. The currency in Facebook is your emotional pull, right? So I guess this brings us now to why nostalgia is very effective for the BBM camp. Why do you stay when you see posts that talk about the past? Like, what's, what's the pull there? So nostalgia, I think, is very important. Like, we tend to think of memory, especially history, as something that's in our collective memory. Which is why when we're talking about history, we say that we are losing sight of our collective memory or our collective memories have such a short lifespan. So when we're talking about nostalgia, it's still within that field of study that we call the politics of nostalgia, mm. right? Or the politics of memory. So why is it so used by the BBM camp? There are two parts of this. The first part is we have failed historically to confront lies about Marcos until it was too late. And secondly, just about nostalgia in and of itself, it's very powerful and it's very complex and it's very difficult to engage with and you know meaningfully dissuade people from using nostalgia more. So as for our failures... I think there are at least three. The first one is that textbooks are very bad. The way that martial law was taught to us was not the most ideal. So I went on our Discord, the debatable Discord, and I asked people whether they were taught significantly about um, martial law. And the reason why I asked that was the fact that when I asked you this the first time we recorded... Um, My experience is very different. Your experience to- is very different. Like, you were telling me about what happened in Saint Sco when you were a child. Like they invited you, panga, to uh, like rallies and demonstrations. Yeah, yeah. Not using you, but encouraging you because, like. Yeah, they were like, "If you want to go, we have a bus leaving tomorrow, going to People Power. It's a day off. You can rest. You can do homework, or you can attend this rally in your uniform. And we're gonna, you know, give you transport going and back. And I live near Saint Sco, so I'm like." Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any of that actually. But um I do remember the first time we recorded, we had like I we mentioned some debate where a lot of people were saying that why why are the Dilawans using children as political tools like that? You, you saw that a lot from the Duterte camp in the past. Like Saint Sco is using children in order to forward a political message when they should just be in school. Mm-hmm. And we said that well, this isn't really using them as tools because they're not forced to, right? Like, you don't get a good grade just by being there, right? Yeah, yeah, I think... So, the, I, what I said was, the better analysis is, it's the school encouraging children to be more participatory in a democracy because under the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child, a child, even though they have to study whatever, they do have the right to participate in a democracy. They have participatory rights. And that might be a better way of looking at what Saint Sco was doing. But on on the other hand, 
my situation was very, very different because, like, we only had, like, two paragraphs about martial law. Oh. Yeah, we only had two paragraphs of martial law and then the rest was just just some random rants from the teacher. Mm-hmm. So the teacher could have said, like, absolute power corrupts absolutely, but we really needed discipline. But there was corruption. But we really needed martial law. Like that. So it was very lukewarm yeah. all around. Um, I don't really particularly like that history teacher anyway. But <laughs> yeah, so I went on the Discord and a lot of people were saying that it was similarly lukewarm. Like um, Strict Babushka was saying that it wasn't ever actually discussed throughout grade school and high school. Um, there was a brief mention in Argalin Panlipunan or social studies classes. Um, but there was the assumption that you're already supposed to know what fully happened. And other people were saying that when they discussed about martial law during elementary years, it was only surface level, no in-depth discussion. But there was discussed as a, it was discussed as something that had just happened in Philippine history. So it looked like there is a like a certain part of the past that we consider to be that era, and it's not something that continues to this day. And I feel like that's a problem that we see in teaching history in general, where we see something as squarely in the bounds of the past and not ever something that continues to the present which is why we're always shocked when we go like oh martin luther king was actually born on the same year as anne frank yeah right it's kind of hard like time gets skewed no like as things happen (laughs) yeah and it's it's also one of the reasons why it's always so funny whenever someone says uh, one Ponce Enrile is that old. Like, he's still alive. No, One Ponce Enrile is older than sliced bread. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the reason why that's funny is because we imagine historical events to be something that's squarely in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that can continue on to the present. So when we see someone like One Ponce Enrile, who has lived through history, we go like, this person should not be alive anymore. Like, not this isn't to say that this person should die, right? What I'm saying is like, we're always so surprised that things that we feel like are so far away in our history are still present here in in our time today. Yeah, so that's the first one. The way that we we were taught history in our textbooks, very bad. Another mostly thing bad. is... Yeah, mostly <laughs> bad. Some exceptions, but definitely not the rule, right? Um, the second thing is that the justice system, as much as I admire the justice system, I don't want to say that they're corrupt or whatever. And to be clear, I'm not saying that. But the justice system really could not make them accountable. Um, and a lot of that was based on technicalities. And I do understand why those technicalities are there. For example, the idea here that, well, Ferdinand Marcos was never convicted of any crime. That is true. But that's only because criminal liability extinguishes upon death. So when he died, we literally could not convict him. So you could say that's because of a technicality, although that's still debatable. Because you can say that, well, why don't we still try him after he dies, right? And this was a debate motion in the past. Mm -hmm. Although, to respond to that, the problem with trying people who are already dead is they do not have the ability to defend themselves anymore. And if we're talking about criminal liability, that's a very big deal, right? So... All the more that we should protect their due process rights, which is why we, we extinguish criminal liability upon death. 
right? So you can argue that we failed to make them accountable based on technicalities. But on the other hand, you can also say that, well, those technicalities are there for a reason, to protect due process rights. And even the worst people, like people who we feel like are the worst of the worst, they still uh, have the right to due process. They still have the right to a good defense, right? Um, another technicality is bowel photocopy. You're not allowed to present evidence that it's just a photocopy if you're not able to show that... Um, if you're not able to explain why the original copy was destroyed or is missing. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why Imelda was able to not be, was able to avoid uh, conviction because of the best evidence rule. That's what they call it, the best evidence rule, which is generally, let's take a look at the originals. And if you're using a photocopy, you have to explain why the photocopies are used. Um, so a lot of these things, to be honest, disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not competent to talk about that. You can reach out to lawyer volunteer groups to help you understand. So Lawyers for Lenny, so all of those, and I very admire them. Um, and a lot of people who I'm personally friends with are, um, <laughs> are lawyers who do dedicate a lot of their time to explaining a lot of these legal concepts. Hmm. Um, but the last one is the academe, I feel like, was woefully unable to communicate um, and confront those lies about the Marcuses and influence public discourse. I'm not saying that they didn't try, but we really were having a hard time. Yeah, I feel like the difference of this and the first one is that the first one is just about the education system being bad. This one is about how even if we had good education systems, like even if all of the schools were like my school that had Mark martial law week, and had reenactments of the situation, uh, encourage people to go, go to the rallies and have like noise brigades outside the gate. Like, it's the fact that we are not, or the academe is not seen as credible enough for some reason, right? Like, there's a smart shaming culture in the Philippines, for instance. Um, there's also the fact that we don't pay attention to our academics enough because we'd rather listen to politicians or those with money. So this is more of a perception issue than it is a issue of our ability to actually teach, right? Because I think a lot of schools, if given the chance, would actually want to teach what needs to be taught. It's just why go through all the effort when you can face a lot of repercussions. So if I were ass uh, to assume the best case of your school, it's not that they didn't want to teach you martial law. It's probably that they were scared of the consequences of the um, red tagging, of the attacks like in my years in Saint school like we've gotten so many attacks not just as scholasticans but as an institution um like especially when like the libingan bayani issue came up like Saint school became a hot topic and a lot of scholasticans were doxxed and personally threatened um and i feel like some schools don't want to go through that right so yeah so it, it might be that the academe is just really scared um, and don't have the resources to fight back in the instance that they do want to correctly teach what took place in history. Well, I, I take a different view. Um, so I may be like I'm just extending for you because I also feel like one of the barriers is it's just very inaccessible language. It's very inaccessible language. So for example, I came from the UP School of Economics and for a very, very, very long time, um, professors in the school have been trying to debunk a lot of martial law myths. So why hasn't it stuck? Okay, it has stuck for 
like a lot of people, but I would argue that for the vast majority of people, they still believe that it was a golden era, or it was a golden age, or whatever. Even though for more than 40 years already, you have consistently been trying to debunk those ideas. Mm. So why hasn't it stuck? My theory naman is just the sheer inaccessibility of the language of the academe. Right? And it's very important for the academe to be inaccessible. Because the more inaccessible you are, the greater the bragging rights are. Like, if it's very, very simple to understand, then it's not as glamorous. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, you can see this in a lot of econ jargon. Like, it's like you're, you have to study a whole new language in order to understand. Make heads or tails of anything. Um... Especially in finance matters, to be honest. Like, mm. what even are we talking about? Um, so we've had so many finance episodes already. And every single time, I still feel like, oh, let's take a refresher. Let's have a refresher first. Because most people, it's, it, really, it really is a difficult thing to make stick um, if you're not involved in that thing in, in work or in school or whatever. Um, so I do think that because of this language barrier, the academia was unable to communicate and influence public discourse. Um, yeah, but since you were talking about the Libingan Mga Bayani thing, um, we can go back to the justice system because it was actually the Supreme Court that agreed with Duterte and said, you can put Marcos in the Libingan Mga Bayani. But it was only on a technicality, actually. Mm. So, um, in that case, a lot of people were saying... Um, especially from the people who are challenging the burial, they were saying that this is historical revisionism. This will open the floodgates to more historical revisionism if people call him a hero. And then the Supreme Court, in that case, was saying that just because he's in the Libingan ng Bayani does not mean that he's a hero. Because even though the name of the um, of the place is Libingan ng Bayani, it's actually there to... Uh, it's actually there as like a military gravesite. So unless the president, as a commander in chief, the by is part of the military, unless the president was uh, dishonorably discharged from duty, then he would still be qualified. You know that like none of the disqualifications applied because he wasn't tried in a court martial or whatever. He wasn't dishonorably discharged. Therefore, he's not disqualified. Therefore, Duterte has the right to place him in the living and Bayani. So it was not about whether he's a hero. It's just on a technicality. And the Supreme Court was saying like, we can combat historical revisionism in many other ways. So the Supreme Court was still saying that, yeah, okay, he's not a hero, but we can put them in this site anyway. So he's there on a technicality. And I feel like maybe that's something that we might want to embrace. Like, yeah, all of your victories lately have been on technicalities. Uh, this is still, still debatable, I think. Like, because you will have to accept at some point that maybe he should be in the Libingan ng mga bayani. But we're going to say that, yeah, on a technicality, like, all of these people, they weren't convicted, yeah, on a technicality. Mm. Yeah. Um. So I feel like that might be a strategy that we can use, but I'm not an expert on this either. Um. So it's still debatable as far as I'm concerned. So those are our failures, right? Our failures, Um. there are a lot of political reasons um, in it, a lot of economic reasons as well, but they all created this perfect storm where no one was willing or able, actually, to fully confront those lies about the Marcuses, which creates the perfect place, the perfect atmosphere 
to weaponize nostalgia. And this is the second part. Nostalgia is very, very powerful and even more complex because it's a type of memory that stimulates three things, pleasure, loss, and hope. And these are very strong emotions that you feel all at the same time. So when you're being nostalgic, you're feeling nostalgia about something, you're not just sad about it, right? More specifically, you like thinking about the past. You like imagining yourself at this place and at this time. That's pleasure. You also feel loss of that time. Like you feel like that time has been taken away from you or like your innocence has taken away from you or whatever. And also hope that maybe in the future you can regain what was lost and you can again live in that place and time but you know some some things might be different but you will still feel similarly and that's nostalgia three very strong emotions all at the same time yeah so uh, what i feel is that the marcuses actually use these really well because pleasure makes you believe for example based on your content buckets that marcus is a great person like they have character they are competent um, it's pleasurable to think about what they might be capable of. To think about, you know, they're gonna give us give us back the gold. They're so rich. They're gonna Taliana make us, gold. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna make us so rich. Like they have ties to every country or whatever, right? So that that gives us like a sense of pleasure, right? Um, it also gives us a sense of loss because it makes you angry that, we could have had these things, but the the, the yellows. yeah, the yellows got in the way, um, or. Like, basically, it doesn't even have to be the yellows. It's just anyone who gets in their way. It's just easier to claim that they're all part of a particular group, right? Because, you know, like... Uh, it's imagine, a conspiracy. Yeah, imagine trying to be nuanced as a BBM supporter. Like, oh, so much work. No, <laughs> no, we, we're, we shouldn't say that they're intellectually inferior. No, I'm not saying they're intellectually inferior. I'm saying that they... They don't like nuance. They don't like nuance. Which is a sort of like similar no but it is it is saying that they have a tendency to lump things together it's actually pretty smart to not look at nuance okay right? okay like why say so i mean i i disagree with the idea that they just don't want nuance i feel like they're not being given enough to make those connections for themselves no i i think they're good at spotting nuance it's just they don't want to use it because it's not convenient for them okay i suppose so i also feel like Again, since you're saying that it's pleasurable to look at him in a certain way, um, makes him angry as well. It's also really empowering. Like it also really motivates people to actively want the campaign to bring that world back, to take it away from mm-hmm. the usurpers, right, or or the yellows. So I think that from a political standpoint, it really can evoke very very productive emotions from a campaigning standpoint can also make you believe that you have a sense of solidarity like you are the new revolutionaries you are unity yeah it's unity and stuff like that um so i feel like those are twin frames you have a frame that says marcus was brilliant and you have the other frame that says that the yellows are incompetent and corrupt and usurpers and those two frames reinforce each other the marcus being brilliant frame you can say that they were unfortunately usurped by the yellows the dumb yellows frame you can say that they prevented the new society that Marcus wanted to build, which leads you back to the first frame, right? So they, um, it's very powerful because those two frames create a positive feedback loop that will put you in that rabbit hole, like I said. Um, so the question now is, can you actually use nostalgia to 
your advantage if you're trying to fight against this? And the answer is we actually can, but there's a trade-off there. Like it might be good in the short term, but maybe not in the long term. So we also did the nostalgia thing. Like in 2010, when Cory died, what repelled Noi Noi to the presidency was arguably nostalgia over the time that we were united and the time that we ousted a dictator. In 2016, in the VP race, academics like Oscar Serkinia wrote about how we reincarnated Cory and the dictator in the form of Lenny and BBM respectively. So when you're trying to talk about nostalgia, a large part of it is trying to reincarnate or re-resurrect people who are already dead. Um, influential political figures... Um, and trying to reincarnate them creates a sense of continuity, which we need to fight today. Like I mentioned earlier that trying to bring it back to um, Marcos Sr., um, by doing that, BBM is trying to say that if you vote for me, you can continue the Marcos legacy, right? So um, we need to fight that sense of continuity today because we want to say that, okay, fine, even if the father was good, which he's not, but even if we assume that he was, the son is not the same as the father. And there are a lot of people who were hardcore Marcos supporters that still don't want to vote for BBM because they do not believe that the son is as good as the father. So we need to fight that idea of continuity. Mm. But also, I maybe we shouldn't do these parallels because in the long run, it facilitates that reincarnation myth. It facilitates the idea that we need to treat people as continuations of something else. So you will definitely bring a lot of baggage, right? So um, because of what we did in the past, it's catching up to us because right now, even though Lenny has tried to rebrand herself as Pink, um, tried to separate herself from the Liberal Party, everyone's still saying that she's just a puppet of these same people. And that's because in the past, we reincarnated Corey in the person of Lenny. So I don't think we should do the parallels in the future, because in the long run, it's not going to be good for discourse. Yeah, I think what happens as well is that, you know, if we use the same trends over and over again, it, it, it's just going to go back and forth. Um, So it's either we believe the narrative that the Marcoses were good, or we believe the narrative that the Lilawans were good, right? And sometimes, like, as, as I mentioned, there's more nuances to that, and we fail to see that if we are so stuck in seeing things in black and white. Which was in the paper we read, right? The dark versus light, or light versus dark. Yeah. Um. Basically, that's how it was. It was phrased. Um. And what happens is that, basically, with nostalgia, um, it, it's hard to separate facts from fiction as well. Like this is just me inserting what I've noticed from nostalgia, is that when we start looking at memories with like rose-colored glasses, we stop trying to actually say, see things for what they are and look at things based on how we want to see them. So, like, your pros and cons list in high school, I feel like there's some value to it, right? But, yeah. but what happens there is that because objectively, and we're taught at a young age to just look at things pragmatically, um, if we see a long list of like, oh, look at the infrastructure, bridges, hospitals... Like, we're gonna stop seeing the lives of people as something that we shouldn't be sacrificing. Because in terms of our nostalgia, um, we start seeing the past in terms of, oh, look at all these things that we could have gotten. Look at how I personally would have benefited from it. And if I'm detached from the lives that were lost, then it's easier for me to be nostalgic for one 
entity or one version of history more than the other. Yeah. So I think that at this point, it's very important for us to take a look at the things that we have in common with the BBM camp, especially in terms of narratives. Because I remember um, you were saying that we can't have unity without justice. Um, so that was a response from people who were supportive of the opposition against the unity narrative of Bong Bong Marcos. And, well, the problem with that is this idea that we can't have unity without justice, that is claimed by both sides as well. Mm. Like, the if Bong Bong Marcos wins, that will be the justice on <laughs> which the unity would be based. Because yeah. the injustice that happened was the the election in 2016 was allegedly stolen from him. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, the Nakao narrative is also claimed by both sides. Because they might have stole a lot of money, but everyone steals money. And also, the Dilawans, they, uh, the Dilawans, wow, accent. <laughs> <laughs> the Yellows, they stole the new society from us when they ousted Ferdinand Marcos. They stole the 2016 elections as well. Right? So the Nakao thing is claimed by both sides as well. The not golden age is claimed by both sides as well. Because uh, we say that the the martial law era was not the golden age. They say that the post-Marcos um, society was not the golden age either. The hope narrative is also claimed by both sides because they are putting their hopes on um, rectifying the injustices against the Marcoses. Right? So there are so many commonalities that you get on both sides. And This is perhaps the reason why it's very difficult to find ways to convert one another, right? So we don't really know the answer for how to do this, but we do have some advice. The first one being that we should be careful in calling ordinary people revisionists. We should also be careful in calling ordinary people dumb or whatever. Not only is it a turnoff, it's also very inaccurate. So for example, if a person's lolo says that during the time of martial law, crime is very low, And someone else's lolo says that during the time of martial law, the military committed crimes because they were a torture victim. So the question is, was the pro-Marcos lolo revising history? I don't think so. Because those are just two people having conflicting recollections of a certain point in time based on their personal experiences. That's what's called memory contestation. It's based on a subjective experience of a point in history. But revisionism is a deliberate attempt to distort collective memories by denying or sanitizing negative things and exaggerating good things. So, like, obviously, the pro-Marcus Lolo could not be a deliberate historical revisionist because he's only speaking from his own personal experiences. And we cannot, like, we can't say or invalidate their experiences. And if you do that, must turn off you. Like, that's a big turn off as well. Like, you are trying to invalidate my experiences when I was the one who had them. And this is the reason why a lot of people think that we're trying to be dictators as well when we say that the martial law era was pretty bad. So I have a question though. Like what if this Lolo ends up like being a figurehead and starts talking about his experience, claiming it's the experience of a lot of people in his time? Does that make him a revisionist? Well, if it's a... No. I still don't think he's a revisionist because the way that I understand it is it's a deliberate attempt to distort collective memory. So if it's part of his own memory and he's just talking about his own experiences, that's not revisionism. So, but 
I would say that if he's being used, kanyari, like he's being platformed by the Marcoses, that would be use the Marcoses using the process of memory contestation and skewing it in order to facilitate their historical revisionist project. Mm. So I don't think that we should blame the pro-Marcos Lolo for talking about his own personal experiences. We should blame the historical revisionist project of the Marcoses. Well, I feel like that's debatable, but yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I, I feel like we should also try to think about why people are nostalgic over certain things. Like, it's really difficult to feel the effects of trillions in debt all at once because it's spread over so many different people. But it's easy to point to infrastructure projects as clear indicators of project, uh, as clear indicators of progress. And we have to try to bridge that gap in proximity as well. Um, so the failures of post-Marcus era should be recontextualized. When people say that people used to feel safe during the martial law era and not now, what it actually does it is that it manifests an anxiety caused by peace and order threats under Corey and the post-Marcus um, time, as well as discontent at the failure to deliver on Corey's promises of economic growth and peace and order and stuff like that. So you have to recontextualize it because the reason why we're not feeling really good economic growth was because of Marcus's like debts. The reason why we felt a lot of peace and order threats under Corey was because um, Mar- pro-Marcus cronies were trying to invalidate her power, right? Try- trying to oust her, trying to go on coups and stuff. And the reason why they might have felt safe during martial law was that as a matter of policy, they didn't want to talk about the inconvenient stuff during that time. Mm. And if they did, it was usually as part of propaganda where everyone who disagrees with us is number one, being taken care of, and number two, they're just dirty, dirty communists. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the problem as well is that it, it it's hard to recontextualize the problem because ad- admittedly, people can't think long term right like it's easier to just look at like what's happening now and associate it with the current administration or associate it with what's the most uh proximate thing that they can see um on their mindset and this is not to call them dumb before you call me out or whatever um it's basically just how people work like it's hard to see the nuance of um you know like how taxes work um it's easier to like attribute laws that pass now to be Duterte's projects even if they were started by a previous administration. That's just really how things are. Um, that's why credit grabbing is a big thing as well here in Philippine politics. Like you want to put your face on everything if you're a politician, not because you want to brag, but also because you know there's a tendency that if you don't claim it, someone else will. Um, that goes the same with problems, right? So if the Marcoses don't claim the problem, it's easy for them to associate it with someone else. It's easy for people to just like link that problem to whatever is closest to that problem currently. So after Marcos era, obviously we suffered economically because of debt. It was easy to just blame Cory Aquino's um, administration and every administration after. But for some reason, that doesn't apply to the Duterte's administration. Like, how did Duterte escape that association? COVID. COVID, no? Yeah, yeah. ah, yes, right. I, I keep forgetting sometimes we're in the middle of a pandemic with all the things happening. <laughs> yeah, because there are, like, so many so bad many. things happening all at the same time, and some of them are not related to the pandemic at all. Um, 
So I guess the takeaway that you should have from this um sort of lengthy episode is you want to try to be more empathetic towards them. Like be nicer, be kinder, be more understanding. Because these people, they are not irrational. They are voting from their personal perspective. So we have to understand it. And by doing so, hopefully you'll be able to identify a strategy to deal with their anxieties because a lot of them they're anxious about voting for the same people over and over again they're anxious about buying into promises of change of hope or whatever and they're going to be disappointed meanwhile they feel like at least when it was marcus's time the media was not allowed so they they weren't they weren't able to tell people about what was going wrong in the country so we need to identify anxiety points and try to find strategies to deal with those anxieties and we can never do that just by talking down to them um so that's it for this episode um we learned a lot when we were studying for this um i will still continue to be on bbm tiktok until (laughs) at least the end of the election period and maybe after that as well um if the worst happens which is bong bong winning um we'll see we'll see Yeah, Uh, we'll see you also in the next episode. Bye. Bye.